Hello, loyal listeners of Locked On Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellison. I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day, free and available on all podcasting platforms, apps, services. However you get podcasts, you'll find us there for free. Uh, and also, take the moment here and remind you, download daily. It really helps our show grow. Uh, I know we did not have an episode on Thanksgiving, but we dropped in the ratings. We, we got that high point of crossing the top 100. As a team, let's keep working. We can get up and over. Today's show, we're going to talk. I mean, it's been a wet and wild. I mean, can I say that? I'm, I'm going to say it. Uh, free agency. We have so much to talk about with that. And we're going to talk about that in segments two and three. But I'm going to pull something from WKYC, um, you know, our partner in things. Uh, about Cleveland City Council votes to pass its portion of the $435 million progressive field renovation. So that means that uh, the future of baseball, as they put it um, on this one, is uh, in Cleveland for the next 15 years. They approved a $117 million contribution toward the $435 million deal to update progressive field. Uh, Now, part of that $435 million does come from ownership. It is always a bit tricky, let's be honest. I, I always get a bit leery when i'm like 117 million contributed towards when the city gives any money to billionaires it's always a a slippery slope you know that if you listen the vote passed by a 13 to 3 bill and 200 million of that price is for new and upgraded amenities as a pair as opposed to just doing repairs and upkeep so instead of just putting on a fresh coat of paint this is completely starting over and here's the full statement that was uh released by the guardians I'm going to read it in whole. We are excited that the Cleveland City Council approved our lease extension this evening. We are very appreciative of the partnership from the public sector throughout the process to achieve a finalized long-term agreement. We also want to thank the many champions from the business community, Greater Cleveland Partnership, Destination Cleveland, Hospitality Industry, Labor and Trades, and many others for supporting and believing in this as a wise investment that maintains Cleveland's reputation as a major league community. The approval of this agreement spanning at least 15 years will allow us to create a more compelling fan experience at Progressive Field, provide funding for capital repairs to preserve this public asset, and address needed upgrades to significantly enhance our team's ability to perform on the field in our quest to win a World Series. We will now focus on advancing our planning for the proposed ballpark enhancement projects and needed capital repairs. So the Cleveland City, their financing package includes $8 million a year in annual funding. Uh, coming from revenue. So all $8 million is supposed to come from a city-owned parking garage near Progressive Field, uh, proceeds from admission taxes on ball uh, ball games, and from selling the naming rights to the parking garage. So again, the city gets money back on taxes from tickets, but uh, they're now going to basically, when you pay tax on a ticket, that money is going to the Indians as well. So <laughs> whatever you're paying... It goes to the city, who then gives it to the team. So your ta- whatever you're paying, your total composite, is now all going to the Indians. Uh, you might think that's good. You might think that's not so good. That's up for you to decide. Uh, the parking garage, again, I'll say this makes sense. So what the city is trying to do here with this money is, okay, so this parking garage, a lot of its value comes from being near the stadium. So the money from that city-owned parking garage near Progressive Field, it's like if there wasn't a baseball team, its value would be down. Uh, they wouldn't get, uh, you know, the if there was no baseball team, you wouldn't get tax revenue from ticket sales. Uh, the value in selling the naming rights for said parking garage also would not be as high. So everything they're doing for this $8 million a year is basically on this idea that if there was no baseball, there would be no value to these things, or at least no, 
the value would be very much reduced. And that's something I can applaud. I like that the city is doing it that way uh, with uh, how they're going to give their you know yearly share of money that it's coming from basically baseball-based sources uh, instead of like from other places. So they're trying to get it entirely between this parking garage, um, the ticket revenue that they would get is you know the city tax on it, and then selling rights to this. Now, the, here's the problem. But if revenue falls short, Cleveland will have to find other sources to cover its share of the price tag. That's a little bit of an issue. So that means that if they don't get $8 million from tickets, parking garage, and naming rights, uh, then, hey, you got to find the ground. Cuyahoga County, which is also has a portion of this bill, $138 million, So they're getting, you know, from the city, $117 million. From the county, 138 million, which is going to come from a tax on hotel stays and a countrywide tax on alcohol. Or country, I think I said country. I meant say countywide tax on alcohol and cigarette sales. The sin taxes, we know them. They've been in existence forever. It's very common. And then also, I'm sure they're saying like, hey, the reason we have this extra tax money on hotels is from people coming there. And then Governor Mike DeWine pledged to rally lawmakers for a state contribution of 30 million. Um, you know, the whole Guardians thing is that the 81 home games drive economic development downtown, uh, and the team is kicking in $150 million toward that overall price tag, uh, and that the whole idea is renovation is cheaper in a new stadium. Uh, it would be, I mean, you can look at it this way. Uh, I believe Atlanta's stadium was younger than Progressive Field is, uh, that they replaced and put in that new, I mean, their new one definitely is, but that that new, the previous one was a relatively young stadium, and they just got rid of it. So uh, I like having a stadium that has some history to it. Uh, I know people kind of dream the idea of something like what we have here in Milwaukee, where I live, like that big, domed, beautiful stadium. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd say beautiful. It's kind of an eyesore, but it's the doming is nice. You can just kind of open and close. Uh, you never have rain outs. In the cold of winter, you know, you get a warmer condition. There's some nice benefits to it. And the thing I'll say, though, too, is that, like, Milwaukee here, that's kind of, it's not necessarily the middle of nowhere, um, but it has so much just on-site parking. It's got its own little area that completely feeds into it. And going to that, I remember going when Milwaukee was awful. Uh, We'll talk about Max Scherzer in segment two. I saw Max Scherzer pitching for, I think it was the Nationals at the time, and he nearly threw a perfect game. Uh, he gave one hit up in the seventh or eighth inning, and that was a solo shot to Carlos Gomez. Other than that, it was a perfect game. That's how close I was to seeing one of those in person. Uh, and I'll never remember, like I said, this is a bad Brewers team, and their fans are out tailgating before the game because they got the big lots. They have the ability to do it easily. Uh, it was very cool to see in general. But, you know, Cleveland, where they put it right downtown, that is very cool too. Like, you know, being able to see the sites if you wanted to actually make a day of things if you were going to check out the game is always possible now games are pretty long if you got kids that could be harder um again you know i think wkyc the article i I will recommend you go check that out it i went through most of it here but if you want to read it for yourself that's always a good thing to do uh i like that the city is trying their best i don't know how this is going to work out i'll be perfectly honest with you but they're trying everything they can to make the eight million dollars all just things they get as a revenue stream from as a city from uh, the Indians themselves. Now, what you're hoping then is that it does drive, though, you know, the, the issue is the data over the years has shown that um, 
there's not a whole lot of revenue actually driven into a area around a game on game day. You know, it's like people come to the game and they often leave so that I know the Indians are make guardians, I should say, are making that point, but over historical data has shown that's not true. Um, it, this could be a situation though, again, to, I know some people always accuse me of being negative. They're taking the revenue that they get from the baseball team and putting it into the stadium to help keep the baseball team there. So it's a, if everything works out perfectly, it's a net zero loss. So the city isn't going to really gain much from the baseball team. Maybe they get that incidental gains that we talked about. And there is always the prestige of having sports teams, but they're not losing anything by keeping it internally with those distinct revenue streams. Does that make sense? Let me know what you think. Uh, it's, it is, it's a slippery slope. It is something I've talked about many times. Uh, you know, we are supplementing the richest people in the entire state and their income as they make millions of dollars every year. Now they are pledging to invest their own money, which is nice. And throughout this process before this, they had used their own money, which is a, a very positive thing, something that we should give credit to ownership for. But like I said, I get nervous in these situations. I am never a fan of it. This is the rare situation where at least I can be like, okay, this has the potential to actually work. This has the potential to not be a net drain on a city that already has, you know, uh, resource issues in other areas. Um, you can dive into all the fun when you're a big city with things like public schools and the like. We're going to come back to segment two. We're going to talk about that Max Scherzer stuff. As I mentioned, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to just go right into free agency as outfielders and starting pitchers continue to just dominate this market. So let's talk Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered all season. More props, odds, lines than ever, be- than ever before. As football season continues to march to the playoffs, but online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. People, it's time to get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You got one device that lets you catch the game? Another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the inter- entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. So I got some pushback today from a few people who did not like uh, the way I phrase things when it came to your Cleveland Guardians. And for as much as people might, you know, want the Guardians to be part of the blitz that is happening right now of all of the, uh, you know, these uh, players signing with various organizations, uh, that's not the Guardians' MO. That's not for the entire history of this front office, their MO. Even when they went out and signed, like, Born and Swisher, it's like, 
was Swisher maybe around Thanksgiving or was it around Christmas? It was around a holiday. I want to say it was Christmas. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion was a little bit earlier than that. I want to say he was sometime around Thanksgiving. You know, I should probably have looked this stuff up beforehand. I just have kind of in the back of my head. And in both those cases, though, it has to be pointed out, that was after the market had kind of set. These were guys who were sitting out there who were surprisingly still sitting out there. January 30th is when he signed with the Indians, uh, Swisher. So it was probably announced slightly before then, let's be honest. It's, he signed after the holiday. Uh, but with both of these guys and with Michael Bourne, you know, the last three kind of big deals that occurred, uh, it was after a market had settled. It was after uh, players unexpectedly slid through the cracks. And that's how this front office operates. Uh, and Edwin was January 5th, 2017. So, yeah, they like to sit there and see who's sitting there at Christmas, did not get the deal or offer they wanted, and then try to swoop in. Uh, could this still happen? No. Uh, because of the lockout. it's The lockout's going to happen. Uh, that means that that time frame of when we see a team sign, uh, you know, we see them jump and sign a player is is not going to be there because we'll probably be in the middle of this lockout. We'll see how long it lasts. Could they still lie in wait and potentially catch someone, you know, look and see where the market is soft? Absolutely. That is what they do. Are they going to be rushing out before this CBA expires? No. The Guardians aren't going to do anything of note. Um, They're 100%. uh, They are a wait-and-see team. And again, this isn't a knock. It's not an overall negativity issue with them. It is just how they operate things. They're not going to rush out, A, without knowing what the CBA is. I think more than anything else, that is a holdback for them. We've already talked about, you know, the finances and why the finances, I think, will not be uh, quite as good as everyone assumes or everyone wants it to be. Um, but I also think that, you know, they don't want to commit to something when they don't know what's around the corner or how things might change overall for them. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I think that is worth pointing out. Uh, and, and more than anything, it's just not their approach. It is not their way. They do not sit there and... Uh, get in the fray. They wait till a player's value is down, uh, till a guy is a little more of an un, you know, he has uncertainty, and that's when they swoop in. So, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. They're not going to do anything. <laughs> as much as you might want them to go out and sign someone to be part of the craziness that is occurring right now, they're not. Like, plain and simply, they are not going to be part of this. It's not negativity. It is just their approach. They're not going to go out and sign or commit money without knowing how the CBA is going to shake out and how that's going to change things. And they're not going to go out and add a player right now when the market's hot. They don't operate while the market's hot. They wait till it cools and they see who is left, you know, without a chair. And in the game of musical chairs, they see who's still standing and needs, um, who needs a spot. Right now, what is the market playing out? Unfortunately for the Indians. Uh, outfielders flying off the market and starting pitching not a need necessarily but that that is you know the other place we're seeing the market go crazy obviously the huge news of the day texas rangers um, signing cole calhoun for 5.6 i'm kidding they did sign cole calhoun for 5.6 million that's i was kind of shocked by that Uh, speaking of just the outfielder market cole calhoun was really bad last year Uh, he was good with Arizona in 2020, but he's also like 34. To give him 5.6 million was surprising. Now, on top of John Gray 
and Marcus Simeon. Um, and, you know, then they go out and they add, of course, you know, the bigger story of the day, Corey Seager. We'll see if they keep adding on. I mean, those, I mean, just Seager and Simeon alone was 500 million that they added. Whew, that's, that's a lot. Now they don't have much salary committed, uh, but I'll be curious to see, because the other interesting thing as this occurs is remember, as teams are adding guys, they have to let players go. Could there be an interesting player? Could there be someone like Willie Calhoun that is potentially let go? I don't know what the Indians would do with a DH-only type, uh, but there could be some interesting players. I'm going to take a moment. Uh, I just adjusted my mic, so sound will be a little higher. But there could be some interesting players available who are let go, who are designated for assignment. Uh, you know, Honestly, we had our first real trade today. Let's talk about that before we talk about like the Max Scherzers and all these other free agent signings, because I didn't think we'd see any big trades. Let's be honest. Tark, Tucker Barnhart was traded because uh, the if he wasn't traded, the Reds were not going to pick up his option. He was traded for a very small piece, a lesser player in return, because the Reds were just looking to get something. Otherwise, they weren't going to pick up his option. We talked about the Padres making that trade yesterday, where they traded at, um, Frazier to Seattle, and they got you know a guy to flip a forty-man spot with, and then like a twelfth-round pick, who I did like out of UNC Greensboro. Uh, but they didn't get anything big. Why? Because if they didn't trade Frazier, they were likely going to um, not pay him. They weren't going to give him the 7.5. They're going to designate him for assignment. So we had seen those deals. We had seen the deals where a guy was essentially going to be cut if they weren't traded. Stallings is a very good catcher. Now, I, you know, I was talking with the Lockdown Pirates guy, and he at first hated this deal. I like this deal for the Pirates. On paper, someone might look at it and be like, well, they didn't get any of the Marlins' top 10 prospects. Hold up. Zach Thompson's really good. Like, he may not be a future ace, but he was very strong in the majors this year. Look at what the starting pitching market is like. Zach Thompson right now might be close to value just for Stallings. Like, that is, they are close in value because teams need starters. Thompson was effective in the big leagues and was good in that short run. Fun fact, he was drafted out of high school by the Pirates too. Uh, Connor Scott is totally the third piece in that deal. Uh, He was the 13th overall pick in the draft. I forgot how high he had been. Super tools. Again, why I am on draft day, not necessarily leaning into the prep toolsy outfield class. He went to plant high school, which is one of the biggest pitching or pitching, one of the just biggest prep factories in baseball. It's where Kyle Tucker went as a recent example, but he was a late riser, big tools just has not performed. And, you know, again, I won't get into that. And Kyle Nicholas, who I think, did he maybe go to Walsh? I could be wrong there. Uh, Uncle is Todd Blackledge, announcer, former quarterback. I'm going to look up where Kyle Nicholas went. Now he's had control issues, but the Marlins were very aggressive. They pushed him up, uh, all the way to double A this year after, you know, really not pitching much of last year. Guy can sling it. Uh, I was trying to see if, if he went to Walsh. Uh, I'll find that out in a bit. But he had, his velocity was touching the you know, upper 90s, 100. He might just be a reliever, but he might be a very good reliever. And there's still a chance for him to totally be a starter. Uh, Matt Jackson High School, sorry. I, I know there's some rivalry stuff with stuff like that. So I apologize to Jackson fans. But he's an Ohio kid, went in that deal. Uh, big kid, strong kid, throws the ball really hard. Uh, so they got a lotto ticket, failed high first round outfielder with some skills who just came off his best season. 
a kid who was drafted two years ago in the second round, who's a big and strong from a small skill school, but a small school school with a good developmental history, uh, who can really throw the ball hard and has a, I can't remember which is his star secondary pitch. I'd have to look at my notes, but could be really good. Um, and then you get a starting pitcher who you can just plug right in. That's that's a solid trade. So I, I wanted to comment on the one trade we've seen. Uh, we're going to come back segment three and talk about the rest of this market as much as we can. Uh, there's so much to talk about. So let's talk about the Marlins for a second. Uh, the Marlins are, you know, because they added Stallings, are attempting to trade Jorge Alfaro. A lot of people are talking about him. I, I don't see the fit with Cleveland. I'm going to be honest. He has pretty bad framing value, which we know the Indians... Uh, like he does have good exit velocities like that has always been like especially max exit velocity but he just hasn't been good uh, as a catcher as a defender or even as a hitter it'd be one thing like Florida wouldn't be making this trade if he could just be a league average hitter and unfortunately for him he's not been that he's been mostly outside of you know a short short group uh, with Philadelphia in 2017 he's been below league average and he's kind of gotten worse every year so I don't think if I'm the Indians, I don't think he's really worth your time. I, I don't think he's worth uh, trading for and having to pay as he is arbitration eligible this year with four years of control. So I'm just going to say hard pass there. Like I'd be much more interested in Brett Sullivan, who the Brewers added today, who you know, is a 27-year-old player who uh, the Rays had not added. The Rays are really good when it comes to catcher development, though at the same time we haven't seen a lot in the big leagues. Uh, he doesn't hit for much power, but he's another guy who just he he walks, he doesn't strike out a lot, and he played catcher, left field, and shortstop in the minors. An interesting combination. Uh, I thought that was something to point out. A name that might come up from some people is Colin Moran, who the Pirates let go today to make some extra roster space. Again, he just he hasn't hit. Uh, former high pick, if you remember back in the day uh, when he was taken in 2013, he was the most common player mocked to the Cleveland Indians that year. Now, this is where I get to toot my own horn. Uh, is that still a thing people say? Moran, everyone mocked him to the Indians, and I said, no, he doesn't fit what they're doing anymore. He's not their approach. Uh, he doesn't fit their style, anything else. Everyone was so focused on, like, this was a team that was so college-heavy. Uh, and I was all over Clint Frazier in that entire process. Now, both players released uh, this year after a few opportunities in the majors. I would much rather take a gamble on... Frazier, the data when he has performed well has been better. Uh, fun fact, uh, Colin Moran, yes, his brother is Brian Moran, but he is also the nephew of BJ Serhoff. I know some people might ask that. Um, another player let go today was Roman Quinn uh, with the Phillies. Good defender, uh, very fast. Th- that's about it. The Phillies' lack of minor league depth kept giving him opportunities, but he just he can't hit. So... You know, best of luck to him. Uh, I don't know if I need to cover Armis Garcia. How about Matthew Boyd being let go by the Tigers interdivisionally? I questioned them bringing him back. And at first it looked like the right call last year at the cost to play him. And then, you know, he got hurt. And he's going to be out to like June or July. So it's, it, I'm again, it was not a bad year for him by any means at all. I am just curious to see who is going to take that risk when you're not going to see him for a good part of the year. Uh, Just to go through our signings, I already made fun of the Cole Calhoun one, which I don't get. Max Scherzer resetting the market is huge. Um, 
and not just because of you know resetting the market, but getting that type of deal before the lockout, <laughs> resetting the market before. You know, now his deal is going to be mentioned every single time they come to the table. Now, there is talk that they are making headway in these negotiations. I'm not going to get into the crazy playoff thing because that's like already out. Major League Baseball wants, we, we, I did a whole show on this. You can go find Major League Baseball wants expanded playoffs because it's more money in terms of TV revenue, but it also de-incentivizes teams spending. Uh, it makes it easier to be a Cleveland Indians and make the postseason. If you're an Indians fan, hey, uh, or I should say Guardians fan, you know, there's there's things I like about that as a fan of the Guardians, as a fan of baseball. I, I think that's virtually a non-starter, especially when you're looking at almost half the league making the postseason. So we can move on from that. But Scherzer's signing, I mean, the top of this market got blown off. Robbie Ray signed uh, with Seattle. It was interesting after kind of some of the knocks of Seattle. Uh, swinging and missing on Simeon and some other guys. They they add uh, Robbie Ray. Uh, the you know, I'm trying to think who the other big names are. We saw sign uh, on top of those two starters. I mean that's really that I, you have Carlos Rondon is about all that's left in terms of that upper tier. Uh, the Rays got involved. Talked about Corey Kluber yesterday. They added Brooks Raley today, the reliever. That means they had to let go another player as their rotation is always, um, you know, uh, their rotation, their 40 man is always an issue for them. So I'll be curious to see who they decide to, uh, to let go in this situation. And with like the top of that um, starting pitching market being taken off, we're seeing the relievers come. Kirby Yates got a two year deal with the Mets. Uh, Daniel Hudson is near signing with the Dodgers. Uh, we also saw Alex Cobb. That's who I couldn't think of a second ago. It was another um, starter coming off the market. If you go and you look at the top 50 free agents by MLB trade rumors, we did a whole podcast, um, with that back in the day. Like, do you know who's left on that starting pitching list right now? So you have the old guys with Kershaw and Granke. Then you have, you know, Stroman and Rondon at the top. I'm not going to get into that Stroman situation. You can go look on Twitter, um, about Stroman and Mark Craig. Uh, Danny Duffy is hurt. Alex Wood bounced back and is interesting. Uh, Yusuke Kikachi was not kept by Seattle at a relatively reasonable price because he just wasn't good enough. That's your top starting pitchers right now. That's how much his mar- uh, market's gone. You know, Stroman's size and injury history is always going to be a concern. Rondon's injury history is a concern. Like I said, and then you have age and then you have uh, injury or ineffectiveness. The other side of it, let's talk outfielders, okay? Since we know that it's need for the Cleveland Indians. You have the um, Chris Taylor, who is better served as an infielder, could play outfield. You have the guys who are listed as outfielders, but actually are such bad defenders. They're really DHs playing outfield. That's Solar, Schwarber, uh, Rosario, and to a degree, uh, Nick Castellanos. You have Michael Conforto, who would cost you a draft pick if you signed him. And then you have Seiya Suzuki, who... Again, the Indians have not won in the international market since Masha Kobayashi and Danny Baez, and neither of those worked out. So, yeah, um, could they lay and wait in this market? Totally. I I think they still could. What's what's the high point? Let's kind of end with that. Who is the highest player on this list that maybe the Indians could sneak in and grab if the rest of the market collapses? I was just going through here. Very quickly, the names stood out. The longest of shots, but maybe maybe potentially could happen if the market goes crazy and a guy slides. 
maybe Javi Baez. Now, I know you're saying there's no way in heck. Uh, let's say uh, Correa goes to the Yankees. Let's say Story goes to uh, Detroit. Where does Javi Baez land? What's his, is, is it maybe the Dodgers? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it, it's a very, very, very unlikely. But I'm saying if things go crazy, the shortstop market's been a little soft. Maybe there would be something there. We know they love infielders. What about his former teammate, Anthony Rizzo? I, you know, he's, he's more name value than production. It's not to say that he is bad by any means, but the production has definitely started to dip a bit um, You know, this past season uh, as he entered age 31. Could that hurt him? Yes. Is he also stuck like in a market where his value is limited because of uh, you know Freeman at the top? Maybe. So those are kind of the higher end, but I, I don't really see it necessarily being likely. Last two guys... Jorge Soler, who had the great postseason, he was bad for Kansas City. We know he can't play defense uh, really hardly at all. You can go back to 2019, though, when the guy hit 48 home runs. Uh, even in his bad year, you're looking at a 749 OPS this past year. I mean, his He had a negative war, but it's all because of defense. Now, if Fran Mo Reyes can play the outfield and show some progress there, adding someone like Soler to be your DH, uh, you need just add a whole other component to that lineup. And speaking of DHs, maybe Nelson Cruz. He's so far down the list because he's a DH only and he's 40 years old. Uh, with Once he was traded to the Rays, he was closer to league average, uh, less of that dynamic player. But is there worse things than adding someone like Nelson Cruz on a one-year deal if it's kind of a cheaper deal, if the market does not come around for him? He's way down. Like he's on the, what, in the late 40s, I believe, 47th on the uh the mlb trade rumors list uh padres padres and brewers assuming i think a dh uh rule comes into effect could the indians target him and again consider moving fran mill maybe uh wouldn't be the most likely thing but again one-year deals rarely hurt teams or you just get nothing out of it so it's it's some things to keep in mind the free agent market actually does not shape up to help them swoop so I've been Jeff Ellis, Locked In Ian's Podcast, and I want to thank you again for making us your first listen, free and available on all podcasting platforms, apps, and the like. Uh, remember to rate and review, download daily. That helps our show grow. We are going to get back to failed prospects this week. Uh, trust me, we'll have a lot of time to talk about that as we get closer to this impending work stoppage. But until then, we're going to continue to hit this free agency market hard, discussing what is happening, looking around the league, and looking how these things could potentially help your Cleveland Guardians. And as we end the show now, Go, go, Guardians, go.